So, uh, as he told you, I'm the founding pastor some 34 years ago. Uh, we started this church. I'll kind of tell you a little bit about me, and I have to do it in a very brief, kind of clip note fashion. So I'll do that. Um, when I was a young man, the passion of my heart, the desire of my heart, was to be a professional musician. And I worked very, very hard at it. And eventually, when I was around uh, 20 years old, I was able to get into a very, very excellent uh, musical group um, in the city of Chicago. <clears throat> and uh, we began to do quite well. Um, we did a lot of um, warm-ups for big name acts. Um, many of you young folks wouldn't know some of the big name acts that we did. But um, we would go up in, on the stage and get the crowds <coughs> warmed up, and then they would come on the stage. People like the group Chicago, which is now what, 50 something years old himself. It's funny to see them now. I saw them back then. They were totally different now. It's pretty hard to play a trombone when you have that walker. <laughs> but, anyways, they're just getting up there. And others, you know, Sonny and Cher, um, the uh, Turtles, and stuff like that. So, uh, the, the problem I had is I arrived at the destination, the goal for my life, and I found it to be empty. It was not fulfilling. And so I, I think I understand why a lot of professional musicians or actors or whatever, uh, or whatever, uh, you know, one of your professional sports or whatever, you come to a point where you realize that that's wonderful, but that's not it. That's not the it of life. It's not what really brings fulfillment in life. So I began a search. My wife and I both, we were both reared as Catholic kids, but we kind of, in our teen years, left uh, the church and really didn't go much to church at all. Uh, especially when we got married when I was like, 21, she was gonna be 20, I think, when back in the day. You did that because there was such a thing called Vietnam, and that was one of the ways that you could possibly get an excuse for not going to Vietnam as if you were married. But we really did it because we were in love. I want to make sure. I don't want any of you saying, so your husband married you because he wanted to get out of Vietnam. No. <laughs> I married her because I was in love with a gorgeous woman she was and is. So uh, we began to look around at different places to find meaning. We had a guy from the Jehovah Witnesses that lived in our apartment building. We didn't know what Jehovah Witnesses were, but we asked him to come in and to talk with us and he was with us and he was saying things that did not make sense to us because of our Roman Catholic teaching, especially about Jesus, that Jesus wasn't God. He was really Michael, the, the archangel incarnate and all this stuff, it was really weird. So we asked him not to come back again. I went to a guru in, um, what is, uh, in the nightclub district, Rush Street, Chicago. One of my friends in the rock and roll business said, hey, Go see this man, he'll tell you all that there is to know about life. So I went to see him and go up in his apartment. There's candles all over the place and pillows. And my friend says, go and sit in front of him. And he'll begin to tell you the meaning of life. So I did. He didn't say anything for a long time. The other thing is I know what stone looks like. And he was stone. So I didn't know whatever he says isn't going to be all that great. And he um, finally said, Watch out for cats, man. That was his. <laughs> I waited all that time to hear, watch out for cats, man. And I said, why? And he said, because cats 
will look into your eyes and steal your soul. So I was convinced that the cats looked into his eyes, stole his brain. Finally, eventually what happened, I had kind of given up on the spiritual search there, but Cindy was invited by some ladies that, from a Bible church that were going in those days from door to door and inviting ladies to a Thursday morning Bible study. And so she knew what we were looking for and our marriage actually was not in good shape. It was, I would hardly see her during the course of the week and all of that. Um, we would talk to each other by notes, really. From the times I would come back home, she'd be sleeping, I'd go to sleep and all that. So anyways, um, she went to the study. And as a result of that study, they were studying the Gospel of John. Uh, as a result of that study, uh, my wife came to a life-transforming relationship with Christ. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the big... That's the big sign of conversion. It's the transformation. It's not the perfection. Doesn't make you morally per perfect. It's the new direction that the transformation makes in your life with new values and priorities. And one of the new values and priorities that Cindy had was she went to church on Sunday morning. She went back on Sunday evening. Uh, she went on Wednesday and then she went again on Thursday morning. And so one day I sat her down and I just asked her, do you love God more than you love me? Because that's the way it looks. And she said, yes, but because I love God the way I do, I love you in a brand new way. And I said, that's it. I want to see your, your guru, priest, rabbi, whatever he is. I didn't know what to call him. So she said, okay, I'll, I'll have him come over, but you have to promise that you're not going to embarrass me, which was... <laughs> good on her part and I said I wouldn't he came on a Tuesday night just what I thought black suit white socks big Bible <laughs> I thought, okay you know and I answered the door and I went back in the day we peace man you remember peace and he said one way there's only one way to have peace and I never heard that I thought that was a very interesting way to introduce himself so he came in and for about three hours Wait, Jerry, what did you look like? Oh, I, I was about 130 pounds. I had really long hair down to my shoulders. Um, yeah, not good. <laughs> uh, like the guys on Cops, the ones that they arrest. That's <laughs> <laughs> why I had a shirt. <laughs> but yeah, like those guys. <laughs> and um, so, you know, it, uh, he didn't act shocked, but I'm sure he was. But he sat down, and the thing that was so impressive to me is every time I asked him a question, he would take his Bible and he would turn it to me, and he'd show me what God's Word said. And I was just blown away by what the Scripture said, and especially Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you are saved, through faith, not of yourself, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that really captured my heart because... In my Roman Catholicism, I had taught that salvation was a cooperative effort. It was your willingness to believe in the death and resurrection of Christ, but then also your obedience, your obedience to the Ten Commandments, your obedience to the sacraments, and, and all of the other stuff that you needed to do, your benevolent acts. And, and you could never, never, never be sure you were going to heaven. Matter of fact, you were told you had to spend a 
time in purgatory to have the sins of your soul purged from you before you get to heaven. So this is all shocking to me. And he turned me to 1 John chapter 5 and says, I can know I have eternal life. That was that blew my mind. I, I can know now that I have divine life imparted to me. And so anyways, at the end of that, he said, is there any reason why you cannot come to know Christ now? Do you have any more questions? And I said, no. And so he grabbed me by the arm, pulled me down on my knees. Uh, and he was on his knees, and he said, you, you just tell the Lord that you've rep you're repenting of your sins. He explained that to me. And you're exercising faith in the death and resurrection of Christ and that you want him to be the Lord of your life. And I did that. I did that very... I just basically repeated. And that, that what happened to me, which is not necessarily typical, but it happens to people, is I went through a radical transformation immediately. It was immediate. Uh, everything changed for me. Not, I didn't become morally perfect. Matter of fact, you could say, before I became born again, I was a bad husband. Uh, right after I became born again, I was a born again bad husband. Do you know what I mean? Because the Word of God did not yet, I did not understand what it meant. And I was not a great father. Kid, my kids were like a, what you, a token kids. You just show pictures of them. I didn't spend very much time with them. And, um, but, you know, now that I knew Christ, I can learn what it meant to be a good husband. And I did. And what it meant to be a good father. And I learned those things from the Scripture. And I had a passion. I, I went to church all the time, which I never did before. By the way, one month after I became born again, I went to my Jewish manager and asked him if I could be released from the contract because I didn't want to play anymore. I just didn't. I, I couldn't take the lifestyle, the, the, the drugs and things that were involved. And I forgot to mention that one time I almost lost my life by taking a particular drug. So that bad experience also had an impact on me. So the point is, my life was different now. And so I, I went back to getting a, just a regular job, although we were making quite a bit of money back in those days. Uh, it was a drastic pay cut, but it was worth it, in my opinion. And as I said, I, I went to church all the time. I even, keep in mind, in my early days, I showed up to a deacon meeting, because it said a deacon meeting. I didn't know what that was, but I thought it was a Bible study. So I went. They said, we don't study the Bible. No, they didn't say. They, they said, no, this is quite different. They tried to explain it to me. But I was so passionate about the Word of God. Eventually, uh, they allowed me to get involved in the youth ministry after they had trained me a little bit. And uh, so I had like four kids in my Thursday evening study and uh, at my house. And we would study the Bible. That four kids in time turned to 80. And we lived in a condo. My, my neighbors were very pleased. At <laughs> they used to tell me about it all the time. <laughs> so, but they came and they were under our dining room table and along the stairs. And, but it was wonderful. It was a wonderful time. And it was at that time that one of the associate pastors said that the elders wanted to see me. I knew we had elders. I didn't know exactly what they did. But I, I thought maybe I did something wrong, you know, and it was very possible that I did. And so I went to the meeting and they asked me, had you ever considered going into ministry? I said, yes, I'd love to go to ministry. I have no education for ministry. Uh, at that time I had two boys 
and a mortgage and a full-time job and so I don't know how I could do that you know so they said well we have a proposition for you and I said okay I thought it was going to say hey get out of the church you're just a mess no but they said um, we will match your current salary but we will send you to school and and you can be the youth director for a while of our church. I said, let me pray about it. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, I thought, that's amazing that they would do that. And then I had to go and apply. Went, first of all, the Moody Bible Institute. And I got a telephone call from the registrar who said, Mr. Marshall, we usually take kids at the top part of their high school graduating class. And so my sarcasm, I said, just turn the list upside down. Pretty close to the top. <laughs> he didn't get the joke. He didn't need to laugh. So I thought, oh, I probably just blew it. <laughs> he said, well, because of the references of your elders, we're going to take you uh, into Moody, but you'll be on academic probation from day one. We have to stay at a C average. And if you go below, we'll have to let you go because it is the generous Christian community that pays your tuition there at Moody. So they have to be very careful about that. They want to be good stewards. So I, I went to Moody. Well, I loved it so much. I never got anything less than A's and B's. I thought this is the greatest thing in the world. They were teaching me theology, teaching me the book of Romans, Galatians. And I, mean, I, just, I thought, this is wonderful, you know. And I was older and married, you know, and the younger kids, Hey, did you study for the test? I said, yeah, why? What did you do? We were chasing each other with fire extinguishers. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're going to do well on the test. <laughs> they usually didn't. But I had that all behind me, you know what I mean? I had all that. And so I was a very serious student. Uh, then I graduated, when I graduated from Moody, then I went to Trinity, uh, Trinity Seminary in Deerfield, Illinois and studied there as well, and uh, always did very, very well. Uh, and then I eventually took a church in Fox Lake, Illinois. Uh, I was there for eight years, and then I came here in uh, 1988, 87, I think, and started at a church and stayed at the church for about 18 months. But we had some differences. It was. Um, uh, a church that promised me that it wanted to make some changes. It was kind of stodgy and old. And, uh, but uh, the younger people that got me to come there had been job transferred, so I was all by myself. And uh, so we were going to go back to Chicago, but a group of 26 people met with me at uh, Olive Garden that used to be on Manchester many years ago and uh, asked me if I would stay and start a church. Uh, with the philosophy that you have now. It was a sincere philosophy, a deep uh, philosophy of, of loving the Lord with all of our hearts and exalting Him and bringing glory to Him in everything we did. Uh, teaching the Word verse by verse or expositional teaching. We were committed to that. You know, it was kind of rare, still is rare technically speaking. Most sermons you hear are topically organized. Uh, but we thought, you know, what a good idea. Look at how he gave us these things verse by verse. And they have a central idea. Why don't we do that? So we, we did that. I was under the influence of Dr. MacArthur uh, a lot in those days. I mean, he had a huge impact on me. 
and, uh, and continued to have a large impact. One of the great thrills of my life was when I did step away from the pulpit uh, in the video, they had a video of people thanking me for my ministry and all of that. And, uh, and uh, they said, but we have one more. And Dr. John came on and, and said some very, very nice words. And uh, so that was, a, that was a great thrill. And uh, so anyway, so the church really has that foundation that we are going to bring glory to God by being actively engaged in discipleship. And that means we would preach the gospel message and we would take those who believe that message and we would uh, nurture them in the faith. Um, Jesus said in the Great Commission, go into the world and make disciples. I think some people hear him saying, go into the world and get decisions. He doesn't say that. He said, go into the world and make disciples. Disciple is a student, a learner. And so we do that. We disciple people. Uh, I'm working with one of the privileges of not having to be in the pulpit is I'm working with about seven of our young people right now, young men, and discipling them and nurturing them and watching them grow. And I think, I'd say at least four of them are aiming toward full-time ministry at this point, which is really, really cool. So and now we have Pastor Rich, which is an, another incredible story of the providence of God mm -hmm. in the midst of COVID. We're interviewing him um, from afar on Zoom calls, <laughs> uh, talking to them because we couldn't get them here. California was locked down. You know, um, they had the, like the Korean demilitarizing <laughs> there. <laughs> they wouldn't let anybody in or out. Fortunately, he went to Dallas uh, for some reason. I can't remember what it was. And he said, listen, I can come up from Dallas. And, and he drove up from Dallas here and he spoke at our church. And, people like them and he's doing a phenomenal job um, so you're at a very good church at a very good time this has been a very excellent time mm -hmm. it's wonderful for me to watch now retirement I just want to explain to you for me it's it kind of I'm trying to find a different word it's really just um, recalibrating the direction of my ministry so I, I don't do the senior pastor work now but I do a lot of Discipleship. I do a lot of teaching. I speak at other churches, um, council. So I do a lot of the same things I did, but I don't have the task of prepping that message every week and, and doing all of that stuff. And I'm not an active member of the elder board. Um, technically speaking, biblically speaking, I'm still an elder. The only way, you're an elder for life according to scripture, unless you violate the character qualities. You violate the character qualities, then you're not. So, but now we have a, a wonderful group of men, my brothers in Christ, who I love dearly, who are obviously doing a sensational job. I don't know, has our church almost doubled in the last three years? Uh, close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's amazing what I'm watching. So, wow, come along for the ride. Come along yeah. for the ride. And every once in a while, they let me speak in the pulpit. But they're very careful about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you had been here when Jerry was the senior pastor, he often did a part two. And, and we say, no, we can't do that anymore. We don't have the time to do that anymore. He had the luxury. We only had 
I think at that time, most of the time, we only had one service, right? We only had one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, right. We went to two. So, yeah, that's just a little taste. The problem of, I had is where I finished in the first service was not necessarily where I finished in the second. <laughs> <laughs> now what? Yeah, right. So if you do a part two, Whoa. start at different places. So. Yeah, I forgot to put that out there. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jerry. Um, yeah, I, I, can't, I could go on and on about the impact he's had in my life and the lives of so many other people, uh, but I think I've said enough, and I'm not doing this right either. That's okay. Um, yeah, and Cindy, Cindy has a whole other remarkable testimony when, when I think about where she was um, and what she did, right? And now is Cindy, sweet Cindy. You're like, what? Just, it's just such a testimony to the kindness and the grace of God to transform lives. And I'm sure some of you have similar testimonies. So, Well, uh, today, we've talked in the past, we talked about what a church is, what it isn't. Um, we talked then about uh, unity of doctrine. We talked about unity in general, but unity of doctrine, what we believe. It's important for you guys to know what we believe, where we stand on the major issues um, and how important it is not to get on a soapbox and start saying, no, that's not what I get, because that, that creates disunity. Um, you can be in disagreement on some of the minor issues, uh, not the fundamentals, um, and be a member here. We would just ask that you not make that your soapbox issue, and because uh, we've had that in the past, and it's not good. Um, and that's a, it's just pride. Uh, and the, the third thing we talked about, which was last week, was... Um, we talked primarily about uh, the rest of the unity of doctrine, and we talked about church discipline, which is just a kind of a scary way to talk about battling sin. Um, not only in the church, if there's ongoing unrepentant sin and what we do with that, but in your own lives. Uh, we ask that you as members fight sin, and there's ways to do that. Um, we have accountability groups um, uh, for men and women um, to help you in those fights. Um, I, I recommend that if you have a propensity toward a particular sin, find somebody to hold you accountable. I, I frequently will text people saying, tell me how you're doing this morning. There is a group of men that meet um, uh, that are holding each other accountable, and I'm on that text thread, and they're constantly sending each other verses or devotional thoughts or anything to help the men during that day live a Christ-honoring life that day. So, so we, we really ask that you as members take sin seriously because that's why Christ died, right? He died to pay for the sin that you are committing even today. So, so the sanctification process, which is the, uh, a fancy way of saying what it means to be more Christ-like, is just the process whereby you, you sin less and less and give um, your life more and more to holiness. Uh, and that's a process. It takes time and it won't end, unfortunately, till the day you die. And then, then you're glorified and then you're shed of this body of sin, to which I say, Amen. I'm looking forward to that day. I think I mentioned to you my favorite, my hero is Johnny Erickson Tata, who can't walk, quadriplegic. And when she was asked, you know, what, 
what are you look, most looking forward to in heaven? Everybody assumed she would say dancing, running, leaping, but she said shedding this body of sin. And I'm like, amen. And the older I get, the more I realize how, what a big deal it is. You just get tired in the battle, right? Uh, you get tired. Um, so, and today we're going to turn our attention to what it means to be led. Uh, what we, uh, how are we led here? Jerry mentioned, I think this was one of the issues too, if I remember right, that uh, that prompted you to say, we've got to find another church where, where you went to that. They, they were committing to you to go to, to an elder rule. Is that right, Jerry? I don't want to I put... I was teaching them about <clears throat> 1 Timothy 3. Okay. They said they didn't want that. Uh, right. In fact, they told me not to mention elders anymore. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was... It uh, wasn't that a huge impetus to say, okay, oh, yeah. uh, we, we've got to go. Um, because we believe scripturally that the Bible is very clear that every church should be led by a plurality of godly men. So we're going to talk about that right now. Uh, we're sensitive to the fact that church leadership can be a difficult topic for some. Uh, when I met Jerry, I came from a church uh, where the church leadership was particularly the senior pastor was involved in grievous sin, multiple affairs that had trickled down and affected all of us in various ways. And that was one of the fogs of confusion I had to be helped out of that Jerry helped me with. And I've said this often, there were times when I would just sit and listen with my mouth agape, you know, and, and I felt like I was being drenched with cool water and had lived in a desert because the Word of God just soaked over me, and I'm like, oh, that's so true. Yeah, that's where I was wrong. That's where they were. Oh, that's so helpful. That's what I went through uh, uh, for a period of time. We met every week uh, with Carl Heinemann uh, at a... Well, we brought Carl because he always... He paid. paid. <laughs> yeah, he had, he, had the, he had the gift of giving. We had the gift of receiving. Yeah, <laughs> and we received every week. We, we tokenly say, oh, no, Carl, really, Let, we'll pay, <laughs> expecting him never to say, oh, no, 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 oh, I want to pay. We knew he'd always say that, you know. No, really, we want to pay. We'd wink at each other. Okay, Carl, yeah. Yeah, he's in glory. What a, what a wonderful man. I miss him dearly. Um, but anyway, he was one of our deacons. Um, actually died in the hospital uh, during COVID, not of COVID. Um, but they couldn't, yeah, it's a whole other story, but God's providential. Now he's, he's sovereign. He, we know that he's sovereign. Anyway, so we're sensitive to the fact that some of you may have come from churches with, with leadership that was like, what are you all thinking and doing? Maybe, maybe the leaders weren't um, qualified. They shouldn't even have been there. Maybe not. Um, some of you came from churches that were, you had developed wonderful, loving, godly relationships. We're sensitive to that too. That's why I had my wife give her testimony. She's not here today because we got grandkids. Um, she's bringing them in later. But that's why I gave, she gave her testimony. She came from a church that loved her, cared for her deeply, and I dragged her here, not without the leadership agreeing on, in both churches that this was the right, right place. I did, not, I did not rule that over her. They made the decision. Boy, she was not happy. But it took her years to come to the point where she realized, all right, this is a good church and the people love me. And a lot of it was Cindy Marshall. Just keep loving her, you know, kept loving her. Um, 
Uh, Lynn thought she was hiding well, but she wasn't. And uh, everybody knew, the godly women knew, and they were after her. And uh, now, you, now you can't stop her from talking to people. She's all over the, I'm the one waiting on her. So the Lord did a, a tremendous work there. But So we're sensitive to all of that. We try to be anyway. So what is an elder? Let's talk about, um, this is talking about being led, church polity, another fancy word just for church government. How are we led? Uh, elders are first referred to in the book of Acts, Acts 11.30. We, um, uh, we read there that the church in Antioch sends famine relief to Jerusalem and, and says, quote, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Uh, on all of his missionary journeys, Paul established new churches. He always appointed elders, plural. Acts 14.23 reads, When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they have believed. So elders are also known in Scripture as overseers, shepherds, pastors. Um, Jerry asked people to refer to him as the most right reverend, Jerry Marshall. Right. Uh, not true. That's a joke. Um, <laughs> Uh, so overseers, shepherds, pastors, uh, all of those things are interchangeable. Uh, elders are to protect, feed, lead, and care for those whom Christ has entrusted to us in this, in this local body. It's an awesome responsibility. Uh, we understand that we will be judged by the great shepherd. Just saying that uh, brings fear to my heart. I'm going to stand before the Lord. And there's been times when I thought, oh, um, I, I think I don't want to do this anymore. This is just too hard, and I, I'm not sure I'm doing this in a way that honors Christ, especially going through this series on Revelation, you know, the eyes of Jesus piercing through all these churches, and you're like, oh, Lord, where are we? Where are we? And I'm at the top there, and I'm going to be held accountable. Uh, all that to say, please pray for us. When people come to me and say we're praying for you, and I know they mean it, it's such a comfort to my heart, right? It's such a comfort to know that there are people who are in their quiet moments bringing us before the Lord because we know this is an awesome responsibility. So now we take it very, very seriously. And all of us are inadequate for this task, all of us. I feel the sense of inadequacy all the time. And I've come to the point where I realize it's okay. It's okay. In fact, it's not just okay. It's the right posture because the Lord then, I'm dependent on Him. He is my adequacy. Uh, so it's all right. Um, and it's important to note that every time elders addressed in the New Testament, it's always done in plural, which means each church has more than one elder. And the reason for this is protection, because no man, no one man has a monopoly on wisdom. Um, I, I, I remember when we went through a difficult time in the elder board, Jerry said, you watch, you watch, this is going to get much better. And it did. It got so much better. And he used to say to me, too, because uh, he was a mentor to me as well during the process of becoming an elder, was you'll, you'll just stand back sometimes and be amazed at, at how wise God was to make it a plurality. You'll, you just see the men interacting. You know, somebody comes in with a certain uh, idea, another guy, guy um, uh, has a different one, this one has a different one, and pretty soon you come to this gel, that, uh, and you all just go, wow. That's the beauty of the plurality. We come to these decisions. Uh, currently, we have five active elders. Um, Rich, uh, which uh, unfortunately he can't come in here because he's preaching. Uh, Mark Drinkard, you met him. Uh, Bruce, I think. We haven't met Bruce, right? Bruce will be in, in the next couple of weeks. Myself and then Jeremiah Kerberg, um, whom you met last week. 
and then Jerry stepped away, as he said, from the elder board when Rich came on, um, and he came in as our new senior pastor, and we pull back in Jerry. We, we ask him questions, especially when it comes to historical. Uh, what, what, what did you do then? How did you deal with this? And, and uh, Jerry's insights are just so helpful to us. So we're constantly pulling on him. Uh, he once came in to one of the elders. We were sitting, we have our elders meeting right here on Tuesdays. By the way, our elders meetings are open. Not, you can't just barge in, but if you want to make an appointment to come in and discuss something that's on your heart, or then make the appointment. We'll give you time. We're right here every second Tuesday of every month uh, from 5.30 until we finish, <laughs> which sometimes is late, um, but that's what we do. Uh, so you're welcome to join us. It's, uh, we try to keep it as transparent as possible, obviously for for sensitive subjects, you can't stay. But um, but if you have something on your heart, you're welcome to come and talk to us. And, and all of us, I hope, have an open door policy. If you want to meet us for lunch or whatever, please take advantage of that. So let's talk about the elders first. Uh, how do how do elders lead? Um, first of all, how many of you came from a Southern Baptist background? Anybody? Kind of ish. <laughs> Uh, interesting, because most of the classes I've done, half the people's hands go up. But the only reason I bring that up, um, my son is a Southern Baptist pastor. They are congregational rule, uh, led um, rule, elder led. So the elders might bring something to the congregation, the congregation votes, and the congregation has ultimate say. We think that's backwards. My son and I go round and round about this, and we think that's the tail wagging the dog. Um, and every once in a while, he'll bring up a membership meeting, and I'll say, you're, you're making my case. You're just making my case. You know, better shut your mouth. Um, but uh, Mark Dever is another one we love and admire. He has congregation rule, and his point is that when the congregation is led well, it's as though the elders are, are ruling anyway because the congregation has been so well taught. I say, why, why take that time? It took him 20 years to get there, you know. Uh, too often in those membership meetings, oftentimes what happens is the flesh prevails. People just feel like they have to be, they have to say something, do something, and it becomes, as Jesse says, as you have said, Jerry, not Jesse, right there, Jerry said many times, uh, the flesh just flies in those membership meetings if you're not careful. You have to be very, very careful about that. Um, so we are elder rule, elder rule. Um, so uh, at New Community Church, however, we do believe uh, that the elders rule, but, and it sounds so, you know, um, autocratic. It's not. It's not meant to be that way. It, it is, uh, we are servant leaders. We are servant leaders. Um, we do value the input of the congregation. On certain decisions that we make, we bring guys in. Uh, you know, we're, we're going through this whole thing about what we do, where should we go, should we stay here, should we build, should we find another building, all of those things. Well, that, it's not my expertise, so we're going we're gonna to talk to guys in our congregation that have some of that ex expertise and pick their brains and try to get, uh, make good decisions. So we, we don't just stay in our little huddle and say, we got this. No, sometimes we go, we don't have this, we need to talk to other people. So I just want you to know that. Um, it's extremely important that the elders are biblically qualified because as leadership goes, so goes the church. That's what happened in my old church. The, the leader, we didn't know he was a flawed man. He brought his sin into the church. He established the church. 
and, and started um, doing these things with other ladies. It was infecting the church uh, in various ways. Um, yeah, so if, if, you're, if your elders aren't biblically qualified, the church won't last. It's just a matter of time before it crumbles. That's why it's so important. So um, how do we make decisions? We're going to talk about uh, some of the qualifications for an elder in just a minute, but how do we make uh, decisions? Well, our primary objective in making decisions is to achieve a unity of the Spirit, and a unity of the Spirit is achieved by the Holy Spirit, informed by the Word of God, the Bible, and then pursued uh, through prayer. We really try hard to come to unanimity. Um, on occasion, an elder may defer to the majority as long as it's not in violation of his conscience. Um, and if that were to happen, the elder, that's one of the questions they ask me, what, what, if, what if we're making a decision and it absolutely violates your conscience, what would you do? And I said, well, I, I would probably have to tell you guys and I'm gonna have to resign if it's a violation of my conscience, but I would not dis disrupt the unity of the church. I would just resign. That's, as far as I know, that's never happened. Maybe once time in the past. No, that's what we pulled this guy in for. So it's never happened. But um, but if it were to happen, that's it's important to know that if that guy's conscience is truly being violated, first of all, we're going to examine ourselves to find out why his conscience is being violated. Maybe we're in sin. Uh, maybe there's something we're doing wrong. So there's you know there's a real time of self-examination. Um, but our, our objective always is to have unanimity. Uh, during the COVID process, uh, that was extremely difficult. Every pastor we talked to said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And depending on you were from state to state, uh, Missouri, uh, unfortunately in the St. Louis County area, we had a guy that was like all about the lockdowns. And, and uh, again, fortunately in Wildwood, we had a mayor that said no. No, 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 no. Uh, over time, he just said, no, we're not going to do that. Um, so if you want to meet, you meet. Um, and we're like, okay, do we obey the mayor? Do we obey the county executive? You know, so, so there's these difficult uh, uh, decisions. And, and then the other issue was during the Delta variant, if you remember, people were dying, right? That was the hard one. Should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? Some people said that's a violation of our freedom. We're thinking, no, it's being aware of the older folks who are really nervous about this, doing it, doing it out of love. Uh, so you see what I mean? We're like, what do we do? Well, there was some differences on the elder board, especially as things settled down a little bit. Um, some of the guys wanted to wear masks. Some of the other guys saying, no, I think we're past that. And we had to work those things out amongst us. Um, and just and determine, all right, is this an issue to really fight about or should we just defer to the others? And, and, and I, I, again, uh, watching the process of the plurality think through these things, and then it finally got down to maybe one or two guys that were upset. Uh, not upset, but differed, but they said, you know what? I defer. In humility, I defer. They didn't say in humility, obviously, but they were humble and just said, I defer. So um, that's the way we do it. Uh, how does a man become an elder? Well, Scripture gives evidence of the first elders being appointed by the founders of the church. And by this example, the existing board of elders, our five men of the church, will be responsible for the process of selection of elders. It is the responsibility of the congregation to affirm 
the qualifications stated in 1 Timothy 3, uh, Titus 1, and 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. So what, in the process, what we do is we, we look for the men who we think have been around, who are qualified, who have people look to in, uh, to lead in certain capacities. Um, and if those men express a desire to be an elder, then we go through the process. We start a process. Uh, currently, we have a couple men in process. It's going to be a while. Um, we never move out of desperation. That's when churches get in trouble. Um, that's when you get in trouble. You know, I got to have more elders. I got to have more elders, and they just yank some businessman and make him an elder, and he's not he's not biblically qualified, and it's disastrous. So at New Community Church, the elder must meet the following qualifications. One, the biblical qualifications listed in the passages, passages that we just mentioned, that's 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, uh, and then 1 Peter 5. And we're going to go through those in just a minute. They must believe and hold to the stated doctrinal positions of this church, uh, perhaps with some nuances, especially on end times. Uh, membership for, uh, at New Community Church for at least a year. Um, I say at least, um, we would probably not ever make a, a guy an elder who hasn't been here longer than, uh, has only been here a year. And, and the primary reason for that is the congregation has to see the man. They, they, have, to, they have to go, oh, that's a great choice. They, they, it's important that the congregation is settled in their hearts when a man's name is being brought forward. And they say, yeah. So that just takes time. There's no speeding that up. Uh, guy, a guy who's been around and is serving, and, and you can see him, and he's active, and, and then we bring his name before you, and you go, oh, pff, duh. Yeah, that's a great choice. That's what we want. So uh, we say membership in NCC for at least a year, but honestly, when, when it works out practically, it's got to be longer than that just to take, because it takes time. Uh, for people to come in here. They must be fully supportive of all existing ministries and committed to faithful attendance in Sunday morning worship and equip classes. We want them in both. Um, and then currently serving in an exemplary manner in at least one ministry at New Community Church. Uh, they have to be affirmed by the congregation during at least a one-month review. I told you that process. We bring the name forward. You have about a month, three weeks to a month, to say, I've got some objections, and I'm going to go to that guy first, and then if we don't resolve that, I'm coming to the elders. I've seen that guy operate at work. He is not exemplary. Uh, so w that's what we do that for, is for the congregation to say, all right, we don't have, we've got five sets of eyes. We're asking the 500 sets of eyes for input. Uh, so we, we really do try to be careful. So they're affirmed by you guys after a period of time, and if there are no serious or disqualifying concerns raised during this congregational review, then the prospective elder will be installed as an active elder. And from what we see in Scripture, this is a lifetime appointment, as Jerry said, as long as the man remains faithful to his office. So there are times, uh, occasional times, when um, a man might be disqualified because he has done something disqualifying. We'll talk about how we deal with that. It's never happened here, but how would we deal with that? How would you think? How should we deal with that biblically? The Bible has answers for that. Uh, if somebody, uh, has, some elder has an affair, we got to deal with that, right? We can't just let that go. 
Um, and there are occasional reasons for sabbaticals, maybe some time to step away uh, when an elder needs to step away and go inactive for a period of time uh, for health reasons or a, a period of, of time in their life. They're just overwhelmed by all their kids and the duties at home and all the stuff they have to do. Maybe they've got a full-time job. There are times when a guy has to step away and then he can come back after, after those times. Uh, just just to get those things off. And there's times, too, when if the health issue gets too bad, he steps away permanently. Uh, he just says, that's enough. I can't do any more. And, I, you know, I realize I'm 68 years old. I know that um, dementia runs in my family. We joke about it all the time. I always tell my wife I'm in stage three of Alzheimer's, but because um, uh, I forget, right? So um, when that time comes and... I know that I am incapable of doing this job. I've told the guys, uh, just tell me. I'll step away. Um, hopefully, I'll have enough self-awareness to be able to do that. But, if, but obviously, if the guy's health is failing, uh, either mentally or physically, then they have to step away. And there's no quota on the number of elders. Uh, we trust that God will provide what the church needs. Uh, this is not a process, again, that should ever be rushed out of desperation. I've seen it happen. Um, I've seen it happen to people I love dearly, only to have them come back and say, oh, did I make a mistake? Yeah, and now you gotta live with it. So we're very, very careful, very careful. <clears throat> and by the way, it's not a good old boys club. I want you to know that. It's, not, it's important to have compatibility. That's, that's an important thing. So after all the qualifications are met, if there's not compatibility, if we know of course, this would violate one of the qualifications. A guy is just argumentative for the sake of it, and that's contentiousness. He shouldn't have been there. Uh, but maybe it doesn't surface, you know, but, but some people know about it. Well, that's important, too. Compatibility is important. But we also recognize there's five guys on there with five opinions, and, and we want to be sure that we're not just saying yes to, to Rich, uh, yes to Jeremiah, uh, especially the lay elders, Mark, myself, and Bruce. Um, we're listening carefully, and if we do have a true objection, not born of pride, we're going to say it. We're going to bring it up. We're going we're to mention it. Um, and so it's not that. It's just, uh, it's, just such a, it's just such an important process to make sure you get it right. Um, uh, how many of you come from churches where leadership, you're like, what? I mean, you, you, you just, you're convinced there's, that, that guy should not be there. Uh, there's a problem. I've seen him arguing with people all the time, openly fighting. That's another one, fighting. Um, people that do that. Uh, all right, so here we go. Biblical qualifications. Again, 1 Peter, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 3, 5. He's got to be a man. Gender matters. Gender matters. The word in 1 Timothy 3.1 is best translated a man for a number of reasons. It would be hard for a woman to be the husband of one wife, which is one of the qualifications. Uh, or the, although today, yeah. now that I think about that, <laughs> yeah, because I'm a, the, uh, one of the ladies said, are you going to sign up for the ladies uh, thing uh, next week? And I said, you know what? Next week I might be identifying as a woman. Yes, I will. I'll do that. All no, joke. Uh, Got to be a man, biological man. Uh, the Bible's pretty clear about that. Um, he also has to be the head of a household, which certainly wasn't true in that day for a woman, uh, verse 5 and 6. 
And also Paul just finished saying in chapter 2, verse 12, the same, so we're in 1 Timothy 2, 12, he says, but I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And how does he justify that? He refers back to the creation order of Adam first and then Eve to make his point in verse 13. So it's not a cultural consideration as many churches often try to say. Oh, that's cultural. No, he refers to the creation order before he gets to that point. So it's not cultural. It's God, God's intent from the very beginning. Elders are, to call, are called to teach and therefore must be men. So two, he must be above reproach. This is kind of an umbrella term. Uh, the rest of the character traits fall under this umbrella of being above reproach. And this refers to a man whose life has not been marred by some obvious sinful defect in character, which would preclude him setting the highest standard for godly conduct. Obviously, this does not mean the man does not sin, or I wouldn't be standing in front of you, uh, but he, he takes his sin very seriously and deals with it immediately. Um, again, back to what we talked about in dealing, battling your own sin. The elder better be battling sin in his own life. Uh, there are some sins that would disqualify him from being above reproach and therefore disqualify him from being an elder. Unfortunately, as many of you know, sexual sin is an all-too-frequent disqualifying sin, which is why the, the next character trait is so important, and that is, three, he must be the husband of one wife. Um, better translated, we believe at this church, uh, a one-woman man. Um, this could be better translated as that and it's our view, it's not a declaration of status. He can't be divorced. It's a, de it's a declaration of character that fits with what we're talking about here. Character, these are character traits. A one-woman man. Is this man solely committed to his wife? Or is he a flirt? Does he have wandering eyes? Uh, is it obvious to everyone that his commitment is to his wife and her only? Is that obvious? If it's not, He's disqualified. That's a problem. Uh, obviously, if a man's divorced, as I am, there needs to be careful consideration of what happened. And because Lynn is my second wife, I was very reluctant for a number of years to be an elder. I had been asked a few times, and it was always no. Um, however, the elders determined that after over 20 years of marriage, now 26, and the circumstances surrounding my divorce, that I indeed was a one-woman man. And I think I can tell you with integrity that I love my wife. I'm solely committed to her. Um, and I'm filled with gratitude to be able to say that I think she feels the same way about me. She's not here, so she can't refute it, which is why I'm telling you. <laughs> what about this morning? Uh, so, yeah, I love her dearly. She loves me. I picked her up from the airport yesterday. She came in from Washington, D.C. She was with her daughter who had some presentation there. And uh, for some reason, I told her she got in the car. I said, I missed you more over these last three days, and I've missed you in a very long time. I'm not sure why. I guess because I'm getting older, and I know I'm going to die soon. <laughs> I think that's it. And I just know my time is just like this with you. Um, driving to church today, thinking about our little quick trip jaunts every Sunday. Lynn and I go to quick trip. We always kiddingly ask anybody who wants to join us. Somebody joined us last week. A family joined us at Quick Trip and got a hot dog with us. And we always go get one hot dog, we get one little soda, and we eat our hot dog together. We've been doing it for 15 years. I will miss that if she goes before me. So I'm just more aware that our time is short. 
and so I miss her dearly when she's gone. Uh, we, we don't sweat the small stuff quite as much as we used to. Um, we've just learned that time is too short, too precious, and our days are limited. So I love my wife dearly. Um, four, sober-minded or temperate. This refers to a man who is an alert, watchful, vigilant, and clear-headed guy. He must be a leader who thinks clearly. He's very discerning, and discernment is lost in this culture. Discernment is just the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, good and evil. And that man has to have that. He has to be able to look out over the course of the culture and say, that's wicked, it's coming our way, and we're stopping it at the door. You've got to be a clear-headed thinker. He must possess the inner strength to refrain from any excess that would dull his alertness. Uh, number five, self-controlled. This is a big one. This refers to a man who is well-disciplined. He knows how to correctly order his priorities. He's a person who is serious about spiritual things. He views the world through God's eyes. Everything is seen through that prism, the Bible prism. I call it the verse screen, verses screen, verses of the Bible. The reality is that the world is lost, disobedient to God, bound for hell, uh, leave little room for frivolity in his ministry. Now, last week when Jeff preached on hell, I, I try to read the room. You could have heard a pin drop. I, I was in second service, so it was... I mean, you could have heard a pin drop because the subject is so... We don't talk about it enough. Jesus talked about it all the time. Uh, but that, that passage from Luke 16 is so powerful. Um, and and uh, an elder knows that people's eternal destinies are hanging in the balance. The gospel's the separator. And so we take that very, very seriously. It doesn't mean we're humorless. Uh, I like to think I have a sense of humor. Jerry, you saw his sense of humor. The man's hilarious, um, especially since he retired from, from being the senior pastor. Man, he's gotten funnier. Um, I don't know. Cindy rolls her eyes. I think she's heard all your material, yeah. all of it, 50 times. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, this is coming right now. I'll tell you what's coming. Uh, but so we have a good time. We laugh. That's, that's fine. Um, it's good to laugh. In fact, it's good to laugh at yourself. Don't take yourself seriously, the elder. I don't take myself very seriously, but I take God very seriously. Um, I can laugh at myself. My, my grandkids always say, Papa, that bald spot is reflecting on the ceiling, you know. Uh, that's, that's fun, that's frivolity, you know. It's, we're having a good time. But I do take it very seriously. And we can flip on a dime from laughing about my bald spot to talking about their eternal souls. Um, so, Respectable is the next one. This self-controlled man has a respectable life because it is orderly. His well-disciplined mind leads to a well-disciplined life. His life is not chaotic, but orderly. So if you go into his home and it's just absolute chaos, that's a man that needs some shepherding, some instruction before he would ever become an elder. Uh, hospitable. The word literally means to love strangers. Uh, this man's heart and home are open to all who come in need. This man's life and home are to be open so that his true character is manifest to all who come there, uh, whether friend or stranger. He's willing to share um, what is his with others in a kind and compassionate way. So hospital, well, that's really an important one. Just the willingness to share what you have uh, with others. Um, okay, uh, able to teach. This is the only distinguisher between an elder and a deacon is the ability to be able to teach. 
The deacon does not have to have this one. He has all the other ones, but not this one. This man must be a skilled teacher and able to convey biblical truth in an understandable way. Uh, some of us are more skilled than others. <laughs> Clearly, um, uh, teaching and preaching are the primary tasks of an elder. He must have a workable knowledge of the Bible. Uh, he must have strong courage and consistent convictions. Um, and again, able to teach is not a qualification for a deacon. One of the books Jeremiah gave me when I came on the elder board was a Courageous Churchman by Jerry Rag. Have you read that, Jerry? Yeah. Um, and I just, that, that book just so impacted me, so impacted me. And one of the things that he said in it that I'll never forget was, the leader must never forget that he is a, a wretched sinner saved by the grace of God, and that's the prism through which he operates. So there's no pride. He's not looking down on anybody. He's recognizing he was dragged up from the pit just like everybody else. Now, he's grown and matured. Obviously, he wouldn't be in the position, but he never forgets who he was uh, so that he never looks down on people. Okay, uh, uh, not given to drunkenness. Uh, the um, uh, ESV says not a drunkard. Uh, this man must have a reputation, must not have a reputation as a drinker. This does not mean that a man who is an elder can't have an occasional glass of wine or a beer. Um, I don't like either, so I don't drink, and I'm not going to pretend like I do. Although if somebody puts it in front of me and we're at a guest's home and it would be offensive not to take that little glass of wine, I may sip it, uh, but I don't like it. Uh, when I was in uh, college, before I was a, a Christian, I drank all that stuff by holding my nose and chugging it for one point just to get drunk. That was it. Um, but it's okay. It's okay for an elder to have an occasional glass of wine, a beer. Uh, the kids used to always ask me in college and career, what's the cutoff? You know, and I said, as soon as you're starting to feel tipsy, guess what? Now you're not self-controlled. Something else is controlling you. So it's not just getting to the point of drunken stupor, not that. It's tipsy, lightheaded. I've, I've lost the ability now uh, to be self-controlled. So uh, that, and that's absolutely true for an elder, but it's true for all of us. Um, um, Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, one of the nine mentioned in Galatians. When any legal substance affects our self-control, that could be disqualifying. Now, the, the difference would be medicinal, obviously. Uh, I have a cousin who's been in great pain because he has cancer. Well, of course, he's going to take some, something, some painkiller. Why wouldn't he? We're not going to ask him to suffer because we don't want him to disqualify himself as a Christian. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. No, obviously, there are some exceptions. Uh, but for the elder, um, he has to be very, very careful, and he wants to be an example, right? Um, you want to be, you want to watch out what you do, because what you do, people might take to an extreme. So you just have to be careful. Um, but uh, we we have um, uh, we we have no problem with um, our kids if they come in town and they want to have a beer or something. We're fine with that. I don't drink it, but they 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 might enjoy it. Um, uh, I've never seen any of them overindulge. So 10, not a bully, not a bully. Isn't that interesting? But gentle. A leader in the church must not be the one who reacts to difficulty with physical violence. I know it's hard to believe, but there are men who do this. They're like, grab on me. Don't you understand? No, no, no. No, no, no. The word here literally means not a giver of blows. <laughs> you would think, duh. But, you know, there are people in leadership that are that way. And, you, and then not a striker is another way to translate it. The leader must be gentle, that is considerate, forbearing, and gracious. He does not keep a list of wrongs or hold a grudge. 
one of the things that I remember reading as I was thinking about being an elder was how many times Paul talked about the word patience. 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 You know, if you're, if you're a parent, how many of you have kids? Yeah, they drive you crazy sometimes, and you got to exercise patience, patience. I just told you that 10 minutes ago. I, I forgot. Ugh, patience. The same thing is true in the church. Same thing is true in the church. Patience, patience. As people are struggling to become more and more Christ-like, as they battle sin, it just takes <laughs> patience. So can't be a bully. you got to be gentle. Uh, not quarrelsome or contentious. The word here means peaceful or reluctant to fight. It refers not so much to physical violence as to a quarrelsome person. So it can't be a, quarrel, a quarreling guy, contentious. It's, it kills uh, plurality boards. It kills them. One guy is always being contentious. Uh, not good. Um, and not a lover of money. The leader must never be in it for the money. That would eliminate almost every prosperity gospel preacher out there. Uh, later in 1 Timothy 6, Paul reminds his readers that godliness with contentment is great gain. He warns about what happens when somebody loves money. You can't be in it for the money. You can't. Uh, many preachers have fallen because of their greed. Now here at NCC, a very small number of people are aware of who gives and who doesn't. Jeremiah is. He's the administrator. Um, I don't know if uh, anybody else. Um, Sarah, maybe a little bit. And then our accountants. And we do that by design. Um, we don't want our eyes on it. Rich especially doesn't want his eyes on it. We don't want our eyes on it because I don't want to treat anybody differently because some give $5 and some give $500. I don't want to do that. And so we don't want to know. Um, and that's good for us. It, it keeps us from the sin of favoritism. Um, so a test for this character quality is not whether a person has a nice home or a nice car, uh, but they're generous and hospitable with what God has given them. And are they willing to share? Are they willing to share? First Timothy 6 at the end says, instruct the rich in this life to be generous, ready to, to share whatever they have. So it's okay to have wealth. It's not okay to hoard it. Um, share it. And, and that shows, and I, I'm, I tell people all the time, you want to get past the, the, the sin of greed, open your hand. And let other people have some of that money that you're hoarding, thinking this is going to be my security. No, Jesus said you can't serve God and money. You can't do it. You'll love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. So you want to, you want to love God and you have money, share your money. Share your money. Um, be willing to give it where it's needed. Um, by the way, we had a, a fifth Sunday giving for the missions thing. I don't know if that's come out yet, but we not only met their entire goal of $5,800, we exceeded it. So we were able to tell Fally, hey, we got you covered. You don't have to go to other churches. We got you covered. We're covering the entire youth conference for you. So, isn't that cool? I mean, I, that, that's, that's willingness to share on a, on a moment's notice. Manage your household well. Keep your children under control with all dignity. An elder must manage his home well. As Paul says, how can he manage the, the church if he can't even manage his own home? His children must be under servant leadership, uh, and they are not, as Titus 1 puts it, wild and disobedient. They're not perfect kids, but they're respectful kids and typically obedient. So when you see one of the kids of the, of the elders, and um, we're all pretty old now, so, but uh, Jeremiah's got them, Rich has got them, and they're a little bit crazy, don't judge them. Just see how they're doing in their parenting. Rich stayed with us. Rich and Michelle stayed with us. 
uh, when they were uh, candidating. And at the end of it, Rich, Rich, both of them said, hey, have you got any tips for us on how to parent? And I laughed at him and said, tips? I've been taking notes, man. Um, I, I've been taking notes at how well you're doing. Uh, so no, I've got no tips for you. I just appreciate how well you are uh, instructing your children. Uh, not a new convert, lest you become puffed up or conceited. Uh, clearly, that's why we're very careful about who we put in. And if they're, if they're a new convert, they haven't learned just how sinful they really are. And they haven't learned just how they don't have the Christian life by the tail. They haven't learned that yet. They haven't learned their utter dependence on Christ yet. Uh, we want men who have come to the point where they realize, I am utterly a mess, and I need Christ, and I depend on Him regularly. That's the kind of guy we want, uh, a guy who recognizes that. That just takes time. You can't make a, a, a new convert. They, they, just, they just think they got life by the tail. They got it all figured out. Not true. Fifteen, he must have a good reputation among those outside the church. An elder's character is to be observed and affirmed by those outside the church. That's why I say we bring them to you. And if outside, if one of you works with a guy and you're like, ah, I've seen him at work, that's not the guy we want leading. A number of years ago, I was accused by a female coworker of making a sexual advance toward her. I asked my boss who brought me that. I said, what did you say? And it was a postal inspector on the other phone. And she said, I wanted the postal inspector to hear me go, <laughs> are you kidding? I said, that's what you did? She goes, that's what I did. I said, why did you do that? Because I know you. I know you. I know you would never do that. And she was right. It was a vicious lie. Um, it was very hurtful. And, um, and the postal inspectors later found out this lady was a little off. And one of them came to me and just said, just stay away from her. I said, you don't have to tell me that twice. <laughs> I have steered clear. Um, she was um, found out she was falsely accusing many people. Um, but it was good to know that my boss defended me like that. 16, lead by example, not domineering over those in your care. Um, it's not my way or the highway. It's lead by example, um, serving. Uh, that's how we lead. Um, I think I pulled my elder card once on my wife over a financial decision. I said, I've never done this in our marriage. I'm pulling it. I'm pulling it. I got the card. Look, see, I'm an elder. You get, we're going to go this way. And she was okay with it because I've never pulled it before. So when we got guys pulling their elder card all the time saying, you know who I am? I'm an elder. You know, then no, no, we want serving. We want people who are serving people. We want people who know their people and are loving their people, leading their people by service, not domineering. So I uh, want you to know this too about elder accountability. Um, we, we hold ourselves accountable. I think I mentioned this to you. Uh, we pair off every month. Uh, we switch it up, and we ask three questions. Uh, how's your personal time with the Lord? Um, not just study for sermon. How, how's your personal time? Uh, how are you and your wife doing as a couple, and would she say the same thing? And then three, how are you doing in regards to pur purity? What are you looking at you shouldn't be looking at, if anything? We do that with each other. Uh, so I want you to know that. We expect uh, members to do that with each other, too. Uh, that's we take sin seriously. We expect you to do the same. Uh, so in becoming a member of New Community Church, we're asking you to accept this model of leadership. Commit yourself to being led by the elders. Uh, sounds so self-serving, but it's biblical. That's the only reason I can say this. It's biblical. Um, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Um, you want to swap? No, you don't. I've asked my wife many times, you want to swap positions? 
Because I'm the one going to stand before the Lord on, my, on, on how I'm doing with the family, not you, me. I don't think you want to swap. Um, and she always says, nope, nope, I'll, I'll be behind you. <laughs> so you want, you want, and it goes on to say, let them do this, lead with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. We care about your spiritual welfare. We'll be praying for you, talking with you, helping you move towards Christ, Christ-likeness. That's what we want for you. Um, we're here at the bidding of the Lord. Um, and we ask you, please, not to grumble against us, not to criticize us behind our backs, not to gossip. You have a problem with us, come to us. That's the biblical way, Matthew 18. We went through that last week about dealing with sin. One-on-one, it's true for a member to an elder. Um, I had somebody say, I thought I heard you say this. They came to me. They were mistaken. I did not. But I'm so glad they came to me because they would have had that in their mind and thought less of me as their leader. I'm so glad. So do it the biblical way. And how do we deal with a sinning elder? Well, the Bible says to avoid frivolous accusations. You're to come. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. And this command protects the elder from those spurious accusations that come uh, to have those two or three witnesses. And if, it, if it's proven to be true after examination, then the, we're asking the man to step aside. Um, and it, it could be public. It's never happened here, praise the Lord. It's never happened here. Um, by God's grace, it never will. But there is a, a formula in the Bible to deal with a sinning leader. Um, so, and if that is determined, then they are asked to leave. Okay, now we have just a few minutes to talk about the office of deacon. Everything is the same character qual- uh, qualities for the deacon as for the elder, except um, apt to teach. Now, that's the only difference. Um, we and for now, now well, what we're doing with our deacon board, which is really cool, is we're assigning the deacons uh, as heads over various ministries. Um, so, for instance, Anna's dad, who's a deacon, uh, Kevin, is head over missions and evangelism. He's doing a fabulous job. Ethan is head over worship. Right, makes sense. We're trying to put guys in charge of ministries with an elder oversight uh, over an area where they're passionate. So there's some, some structure. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head of other ones, but we're, that's, where, that's where we're headed, uh, is trying to get all these guys uh, involved in ministry, not just glorified openers of the church and closers of the church. We're truly trying to put them in position of uh, oversight in some areas. Uh, again, the same, the same, de- uh, same character qualities um, as the elders, except for apt to teach. Um, okay, uh, there is one weird, <laughs> I'm going to ask the Lord about this, but an interesting difference, one minor difference that's mentioned about deacons that isn't said about elders, but of course it must be true for elders. Deacons are admonished not to be insincere, um, uh, and I, I think that was in 1 Timothy 3, yeah. 8 through 13, not to be insincere um, or double-tongued. It's not mentioned for elders, but obviously it's supposed to be for elders uh, as well. A deacon's speech must be characterized by integrity, consistency, and honesty. Um, So additional qualifications for a deacon, same as I mentioned for the elder, uh, all pretty much the same. Um, Deacons are selected by us and affirmed by you guys uh, after about a month. Um, 
and then we install them as deacons. You, you all have seen that. All of you have seen that in some form or fashion. We've had a number of deacons. We've got a couple more uh, in the pipeline coming. Um, uh, we want as many deacons as possible because we want as many eyes on the congregation as possible. And then they do answer to us. And these men, uh, they, they're already serving, already serving. So we're just slapping a title on them. And we had one guy, we really wanted him to be a deacon. You see him serving everywhere. And he said, ah, nah, nah, I don't want the title. All the more reason why we want him, you know. <laughs> That's, oh, yeah, you're the guy we want. Now, I really, I don't, I don't need or want the title. Um, I just want to serve. Praise the Lord for that, you know. But that's what we look for as guys that are already serving. So your commitment to us as leaders, allow yourself to be led. Allow yourself to be led. Um, and sometimes that means swallowing your own pride, saying, okay, I'm trusting the Lord to work through these fallen men. Same is true in marriage, guys. You that are married, um, the wives have to trust the Lord who's standing behind you to work through you, the fallen man. Uh, just same is true for the church. You have to trust the Lord to work through fallen men. Uh, so we're asking you to do that. Allow yourself to be led. And then hold us accountable. Uh, if you see something, say something. Uh, come to us. Do it the biblical way, one-on-one. -on -one. And if it doesn't get resolved there, then you may need to expand the circle. We talked about all that last week. It's in your books. And then three, honor your elders. Elders would be lovingly respected, financially supported by the church. Uh, we do try our best to financially support our church elders. Uh, our lay elders, myself included, we don't get any any corner remuneration. We don't get money at all. We don't get a we don't get a credit card. We don't none of that. It's all volunteer. But our uh, but Jeremiah and Rich are the two and Alex, um, uh, who is grooming right now as potential elder, which is one of the things we said to him when he came on. Um, but uh, anyway, so um, we don't receive any compensation, um, but we do take care of our guys. We really try hard. Uh, we don't agree with the church that says, ah, no, make them struggle, keep them humble. That's ridiculous. The Bible says you're not, you're not to, to hold back uh, from food from the ox who's threshing. You give him plenty of food so he can do his job. So we try to pay our pastors well. And we did find out at one time that one of the guys was thinking about getting a second job. We said, no, no that's not happening. Um, and so we took care of some things for him. Um, we really try hard. And one other thing that's really cool uh, and that we're, we're almost done, um, I love this about our church. Years ago, John Callen, who was a faithful member, was an um, elder for 20 years, came up with the idea, I believe it was John, Jerry, help me, of sabbaticals. Was that John? Yeah. John's a lay elder, uh, nothing in it for him, but he said, I want these guys to have something to look forward to and their wives too. So every quarter, Rich and Michelle are given a stipend, Jeremiah and Courtney given a stipend, Alex and Cindy stipend, Drew and uh, Kelsey given a, a stipend, and say every quarter you have something to look forward to. You guys can just go. We, we don't even want you here at the church. Go, enjoy your family, have fun. The wives love it, and every church I've talked to, the pastors are like, man, I wish our church would do that, because we recognize the need for these guys to step away, and especially their wives. They get overwhelmed sometimes, and just knowing, hey, hey, in a month, we're, we're going on our little getaway. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. That's so important, so we do that for our guys, and I thought, what a great idea, so we continue to do it. 
um, when I, my, my son's trying to get his church to do it, but how, how does a lead pastor go and say, hey, let me off, you know, how does he do that? Yeah, it, it, it was important in this church to have a, a lay elder make that uh, recommendation. It was outstanding recommendation. Are there any questions to you about how we're led? Uh, next week and the next week after that, the two weeks, we're, we're going to talk about loving the church, your role uh, at New Community Church. How do you love this church if you're going to come on board? So uh, you guys have been very attentive and we're over time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time and thank you for these folks. Uh, help them, uh, guide them as they um, wrestle with this very, very important decision. Um, and thank you for Jerry and all that he's meant to me and to this church, the founding of it. Uh, so much history there. So grateful. Now empower Rich as he speaks to us, uh, second service. Um, fill him with your spirit as he proclaims your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Next week.